Welcome to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And we are here for a good time, not a long time, so we do not have a bibliography on this one. No, no, we, uh, we have done none research uh, with Love Beef, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a fun time. It was the anniversary of none, none research with Love Beef yesterday. I saw it's like 13 years 13 old. 13 like years old. It's a proper teenager. Oh my god. Five more yeah. years and none pizza with left beef can vote. None pizza with left beef would probably vote for the right person, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Is this going to make the final cut? Let's find out. <laughs> um... Yeah, so this is a podcast that uh, two recent English lit graduates are attempting to host. We just need to go back to a time when we were, like, younger, hotter, smarter, faster. This was, like, two years ago. (laughs) And we're going to explore some of the works from our undergrad days. Yeah, with uh, zero information about how we felt about them at the time, because I don't have my copies on me. Because you still kept them, though. They're at my parents' house. Are they actually? Yeah, so my parents have, like, all my books in, like, giant Tupperwares. You know, those, like, big Rubbermaid boxes that you can move in? Um, Because I don't have space for them in my apartment. I guess when you don't live with your parents, you can just keep everything. Because you yeah, don't have I mean, to look at it every day. If I'm not there to take up space, my stuff can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so what book are we talking about today, Amy? Um, I think you wanted to torture me with Frankenstein, because once was not enough. Once is never enough. Also, it's Halloween month. It is Halloween month, so, you know, we have to talk about bodily autonomy and stuff, probably. There's nothing spookier <laughs> than not having bodily autonomy. Put that in your work cited and smoke it. (laughs) Okay, so what are we, uh, what are we opening with for this Frankenstein nightmare that you're putting me through? What's your introduction? What's my introduction? Yeah, let's build this like a hamburger essay. Note to students, sidebar, don't build hamburger essays. I mean, okay. So full disclosure, my entire undergrad... Um, I exclusively wrote hamburger essays. I mean, it's okay if you do a hamburger essay, but it can't be, like, a boring hamburger essay. Like, you need to have some, like, miso mayo and some cheese and some lettuce and, like, wagyu beef. You can't just, like, have a boring hamburger with just a patty. Yeah, no, I mean, you need to stick some, like, feta and avocado in there. But just, like, jazz up your introduction a little bit. Jazz up your conclusion. Put, like, a little... Oh, and in conclusion, Percy Shelley was the real monster of Frankenstein. And then they'll just forget that that's also your introduction. And you're good. You're good to go. You want to do something fun? I love something fun. Please tell me. So I'm looking up Frankenstein, because, again, I don't have it in my house, um, on Project (laughs) Gutenberg, which... Again, Project Gutenberg has most of the books you have to read. Unless you're going to write an essay about it, read them online. Um, and they have her credited as Mary Wollstonecraft instead of Mary Shelley. Um, so that's fun. Is that her maiden name? Well, yeah, she's, um, what's her face's daughter? Um, Mary Chris- Wollstonecraft. Mary Wollstonecraft. Yeah, she was a feminist writer in the... <gasps> 
Yeah. Oh, hey, you know what? I wonder if You're anyone's gonna... ever done a feminist reading of Frankenstein. Chantel? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> like, most likely. I wouldn't see how they wouldn't, because, like, it's... Like, her mom was a feminist, and her husband destroyed her novel. Of course they've done a feminist reading her, of it. Her husband ruined her novel. He ruined her novel. I'm with- still mad about it. I read that Percy Shelley was, like, sitting in bed with Mary Shelley, doing the edits alongside her as she was writing it. So imagine someone looking over your shoulder as you're writing your essay and being like, you should put a comma there. You should stop being so flippy floppy. Imagine if someone was doing that. I can't. Imagine. (laughs) Imagine if somebody did that to you. Unprecedented Mm -hmm. behavior. Never happened before. Percy (laughs) Shelley invented that. Percy Shelley invented mansplaining. Yeah, 100%. I agree with this. So basically, she was writing the book, and she was like, yeah, the creature said this. And then Percy Shelley was like, the monster, the demon, under the light of the shining moon, in the dark of the night, said unto me. And I'm like, you don't need to do this. He's apparently also the reason that Paradise Lost is included, and uh, we're going to talk about that later, but uh, that's a C-plus from me. <laughs> so, like, okay. So I get that Percy Shelley was, like, probably one of the main reasons that Frankenstein actually got published. Because women were largely ignored in the literary canon, and he was already a famous poet. He was turning it into the style of contemporary fiction at the time. Right. But... Like, I don't want to read a book where the author is getting paid by the word. I mean, I think that fell out of favor at this point. Um, I, that was more like towards Dickens' times. But I think it's just, it's, they're flippy floppy. So, like, this whole period of, like, gothic novel nonsense that they've decided on had a lot of, like, weird sentimentality, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong. Um, again, <laughs> I haven't done research in two years. Um... So I think it's, it's just, like, the general, like, everything needs to be bigger than it ought to be. Because, like, Mary Shelley has, like, good bones for the story. It would have been a great story. But reading it is, like, getting your teeth pulled out. Mary Shelley wrote in a style that I feel like people would be more interested in now. Like, she wrote yeah. in the current modern contemporary literature style. Like, it was, it's, I'm pretty sure, like, if, if I had a copy of the original without the Shelley edits, um, like, I would have enjoyed reading it a lot more in first year when I was, you know, 17 years old and still cared about the world. Um, Aww. <laughs> you were 17 in first year? Yeah, because I'm born in October. I forgot that happened. Yeah. I couldn't even vote. This was, like, the first book that we read in our undergrad, right? Yeah, they definitely started us around poetry first, and then we dove into Frankenstein. So this was, Um, like, the first feature-length book. I'm trying to remember if it was before or after My Antonia. Shut up. It's My Antonia. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of my face. I'll keep that one for another time. Um, But, yeah, it was, like, one of the first novels we read. Um... 
in our like introduction to English lit class. So the class that like decides if you're going to be an English major or not. And I just remember like everybody loving it. And I absolutely hated it with a seething passion. I feel like classic literature is not for everybody. It's like the thing that people think that you're into if you're an English major. But for me, classic literature has such a cadence to it. Like it's written, it's not written like in colloquial English. It's written like it's it's poetry. So you're reading yeah. it and it just kind of lulls you into like this false sense of security. <laughs> yeah, so I mean like I love like classic literature. Like I'm a big fan of like 18th century novels. Um, you know, my favorite novel is Tom Jones and like I loved Gulliver's Travels. However, there's something about um, I think like both the Shelleys working on this together. Like Percy Shelley was definitely a poet. So I think a lot of that came into his edits as well. Um, cause like other novels of this time, I don't believe are as flippy floppy as Frankenstein was. I love that you've adopted flippy floppy into your regular vocabulary. Well, it was used so often. <laughs> I mean, sometimes when you're editing an essay, there's only so many real words you can use before you have to make some up. It's like, you know, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, when Holt is like, I marked it awk for awkward, and Amy's like, wow, this is the best feedback I've ever gotten in my life. Yeah, that was like me at you whenever you were like, this sentence is flippy floppy, please try again. So, like, sometimes I would try, but sometimes I would just be like, FF. And you're like, what, what, what? that's not a real feedback. <laughs> okay, but my main issue, yeah. my main issue with Percy Shelley, we haven't gotten to yet. Mm. So my main issue with Percy Shelley <laughs> is that he didn't understand the book. He was trying to edit a book that he didn't get. Mm. Okay. So what, what part did he not get? So I feel like when Mary Shelley wrote this book, she specifically wrote it as a tale of caution against people like Percy Shelley. Like it's a cautionary tale against the white guy who thinks he can do anything and knows too much. Like the, like the guy who creates, um, but ends up creating a monster, which is kind of what Percy Shelley did. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who's like, you know what? I can kind of mess around with this thing that was already fine and play God. I can play God. I'm Percy Shelley. <laughs> That's exactly the accent he had. Like, okay, so we're talking about a lot about Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley right now, and we're trash-talking them and, like, talking about the book like they have any real input in its academic merit. However, I do believe in the death of the author, and I want to say that as a fact, <laughs> that it exists, and I am a strong supporter of it, but right now, I want to talk about nonsense. Authorial intent is not real, but if we don't recognize that the book had two conflicting opinions going into the writing, I think it doesn't make sense why so much of the book is conflicting with itself. Like, there's some parts of the book that are really sympathetic to the monster, and she calls him the creature, and He's just this lonely dude. I feel bad for the guy. He calls the monster the demon, the monster, and like the the creature from hell. And that's not what this book is about. No, he's he's trying to like bring in too much of this paradise lost nonsense. Like all these words are very 
biblicized, I think that's a word. Um, like, demon is something that, like, I believe appears in Paradise Lost. Yes, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that it's, like, a framed story. I don't know if you remember that part. No, it's I totally do. Yeah, okay. because I read Spark I Notes it. before I came to this podcast. See, I did not. So, um, but I remember this, and I think part of it is, like, the frame story of everything being, like, really wonky. Um, kind of, like, I think the frame story explains the wonkiness of these conflicting parts of it, like, within the context of the novel. I do think that, like, the Shelleys having, like, a marital spat over the book probably didn't help, but here we are. I love that you call it a marital spat. Well, I mean, they have, like, an interesting relationship. They do. They do. Like, I'm pretty sure Lord Byron was their third. They, <laughs> so. uh... They were a little bit out there back in the day. Are we not going to gloss over the fact of, like, you know, the rumor that Mary Shelley lost her virginity on her mother's grave? I'm sorry, what? Okay, so there's this, like, rumor. I don't know if it's true or false. I don't know if it's written in a diary or something. I don't, you know, the internet. Somebody else check it. Um, <laughs> apparently, Mary Shelley uh, first slept with uh, her husband, um... On her mother's grave. I just, I don't know how that would get out if it were true. Girl, I can, I can fact check it if you need me to, but I thought the point was that we did it. <laughs> like, I know I'm probably reading too much into this, but if you're losing your virginity mm. on an actual gravestone, I feel like that would be a private event. Like, you wouldn't do it when there's people around. So, I'm... Reading this article from a place, and I think it, it falls really into how we're, you know, living our lives. So the headline is, did Mary Shelley actually lose her virginity to Percy on top of her mother's grave? And the person goes with, honestly, maybe. Um, which <laughs> seems seems about right. Did she actually make this podcast? I don't know, but it's a long-standing accepted hypothesis. That's awkward. I feel like that's awkward. It's like the ground is rough. It doesn't seem comfortable. I mean, it doesn't seem great. It's peak gothic author, though, like to lose your virginity on an actual gravestone. Yeah. Mary Shelley's mother died yeah. after childbirth as a result of childbirth. So presumably, yeah. Mary Shelley knows how the reproductive system works. You know who doesn't know how the reproductive system works? Percy Shelley. I don't know, maybe, but definitely Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> right, let's get to the actual book, you know? Victor Frankenstein is supposedly a doctor. Right. So Victor Frankenstein should know how reproduction works. I mean, the main conflict of this book is that he doesn't want creature babies, so he can't make a female monster as a companion to his monster, so he's lonely. Right. Except they're made of human bits. So you're taking a human bit, the womb and the ovaries, and you're taking the other human bits and you're putting them together. You think you're not going to get a human baby? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Like if you're, this is going to sound stupid, if you were to put like a, you know, a cat part into a dog, you wouldn't be getting a dog. Yeah, if if, you, like if yeah. you had a dog that had a cat egg donor, you're not going to get a dog. You're going to get a cat. <laughs> A cat that may not survive very long, but, like, a cat nonetheless. 
He would just have strangely parented baby humans and we would not have baby monsters running around. Like it's not going to come out with sewed together body parts. But also you have to think about like how old these people were that he was taking these body parts from. Like where was this woman like postmenopausal? Because if she was like her ovaries are like not going to work anyways. An excellent question. I mean there's a lot of people in the cemetery and he's probably not screening for age. He doesn't seem smart enough to screen for age. Even if it works, it's still gonna be probably like a really risky pregnancy in like the long term. It's like we don't even know if like this child could get the term. There's so many variables. I don't know why he's so stressed out. He's so stressed out about this thing that like the creature didn't even say I want to start a family. I want to have a child. The creature was like I want one more creature and that's it and then we're gonna go live out our lives and the end. Like, he doesn't have any critical thinking skills, which, albeit, I don't know if we do anymore, um, but Victor Frankenstein had no critical <laughs> thinking skills, and I think that should be put out there. An excellent point. It'd be like a weird, like, callback, if you want to call it that, to the fact that Mary Shelley's mom's doctor didn't really understand the body or germs, apparently. Um, and when he went in and removed the placenta with his grimy little hands, his hands Ew. were grimy. So maybe this is just like a doctor shaming. Maybe she's subtweeting doctors. Yet another reason why Victor Frankenstein is the true monster of Frankenstein. Because first of all, he is a terrible daddy. We're not going to give him daddy. He gives his creature the worst daddy issues. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He gives the creature so many daddy issues, he goes on a killing spree against every person he loves, and then he can fix it. I don't know if you remember, but he actually starts making the companion that the creature requests. And then he sees the creature looking through the window and smiling, and he's like, that is the worst smile. And he destroys the lady creature because he doesn't want them breeding and creating more monsters when actually your real problem is a lack of dentistry. So I remember that he like vaguely was creating another creature because creature number one was sad which again brings it back to like Paradise Lost a little because like you know Adam had Eve. Yeah he was gonna make an Eve. He was gonna make an Eve then he was like I don't have a rib you know. Um, <laughs> yes, hit um, me with a that, woman. that paradise loss comparative analysis. You, you mean the one where Victor didn't have a rib so he couldn't make a proper woman? Yes. <laughs> the one where Victor and the monster were both like, we need women in this world, we must have equality. And then Victor was just like, nah, I'm bad at this. And then he quit his job. Victor was just like, oh, sorry, I forgot. I'm actually the bad guy of this novel, so I need to destroy everything the monster loves so that he hates me. Yeah, he was kind of like trying to take like a toy away from a child who doesn't brush your teeth, <laughs> and that was bad. That's exactly what it is. Dental hygiene is important. Yeah, and like the amount of girls that I've like seen who are like, oh, I can't date that guy, he has bad teeth. I'm like, girl, you have seven cavities. <laughs> Aww. You're not better just because you had braces. That's the that's the real tragedy, is that Victor Frankenstein was a bad daddy who would not get his kiddo braces. Get him braces. I mean, he was grave robbing. You know. Um, I mean, he could have just like robbed more graves. Rob a grave. Teeth don't decay, so like, he could have just like he could have just picked the right teeth. Venture all across England 
and find the one Victorian Englishman with good teeth, and those are the teeth you use. It's not even, like, the one with good teeth. Like, he was building him from scratch. He could have, like, pieced his teeth together. But then he'd have you to know? solder bone, and that would be annoying. I imagine he had a jaw. So he had gums. So he could have just, like, swapped out the teeth. If he was, like, creating life, they were writing fiction. Science fiction. They could have. They started a body from a dead heart, but they couldn't give him good teeth? He made the ugliest creature possible when he literally could have done, like, select a size and mashed all the nicest parts of every corpse. Like, give him buff arms, give him nice toned legs, give him nice shoulders, give him beautiful sparkly teeth. These are the issues, people. He could have also done this really cool thing, which is, like, bribe the like morgue guy and be like hey this is a nice body give it to me and then he takes the body right and he doesn't need to piece it back together he has a good body yeah that's true like okay this is a little morbid but it's halloween it's halloween are you ready yes so in i want to say victorian scotland there was this guy who was like the first serial killer in scotland and he basically let out one of his rooms in his flat and he got people in and they disappeared and he would let it out again and then a new person would disappear and he would just make this endless supply of money and there would be an endless train of disappearing people into this apartment and there was a tunnel from his house to the medical school and they were getting a bunch of fresh cadavers to um, do research on in, in their little doctor school which Victor Frankenstein apparently didn't go to and no one questioned it because they were cheap. He was getting paid. No one questioned it until he got caught, and then they made a wallet out of his skin. Well, you know, that's a just dessert. If you were profiting off skin, you better, you know, become what you've done. It's it's what Percy Shelley would call poetic justice. It is. How do we feel in our heart of hearts about the monster in that little weird house he lives in? Okay. Um, being super real... I love the monster. The monster is my favorite character. I think he is the most worthwhile character in the whole book. And um, he's, he's the only one who's got a head on his shoulders. And it's shocking to me that Victor put it there. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the reasons that Victor hates like the creature, the monster, Bob, so much um, is because... He created something better than himself. Smarter. Something that is smarter, more compassionate, thoughtful. Probably would not have made a monster. Probably hotter. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you're creating man and, like, you don't think I'm going to model him after me because I'm hot shit, um, <laughs> then you're probably not hot shit to start with, you know? <laughs> he, he was just like, I'm going to create this man but i'm gonna make him eight feet tall he's like you know what women love tall men let's make him tall you know who's gonna be super tall this guy you know what i find really sad about like movie adaptations of frankenstein Dude, no. sad this sidebar is that igor exists like the assistant uh-huh and i wish he was like for realsies in the book because i feel like he would be such a fun character and an interesting addition. 
Igor... To the novel itself. ...would be my favorite character if he was a book character. Yes, because I can just imagine him being like, what the fuck is this dipshit, you know, (laughs) doctor doing? I feel like he would represent the reader a lot, though, which might throw in some weird loop-de-loops. I would love it, because I think we need someone in there who's, who's letting Victor know, you know, you're actually making terrible decisions. Like, did Victor have a mom, you know? That's my question. Like, so I feel like, like, you know, you call your mom up and you're like, Mom, I have a decision to make. I'm gonna, you know, start painting ceilings or whatever. And your mom's like, you're scared of heights. And you're like, you're right. I'm gonna stick the canvas. <laughs> but then, like, Victor didn't have a mom to call up once because they didn't have, you know, phones or whatever. But, like, he could have written a letter and his mom would have been like, hmm, maybe don't? <laughs> Question mark. So... The family relationship in um, in Frankenstein, I don't recall exactly, but in the spark notes that I read before we started this, they exclusively mentioned his father and his cousin slash adopted sister, Elizabeth, slash wife, his cousin sister wife. <laughs> so I think maybe he did not have a mom. Maybe he too died in childbirth because of placenta issues. Maybe um, he also should have known what a uterus was then. Maybe, maybe. You're stuck on this point. It's a good point, though. Thank you. I just feel really strongly that if you're a doctor who's creating life from scratch by sewing body parts together, you know what those body parts are. And if you don't, you're doing it wrong. Did he have, like, a good relationship with Elizabeth? Or was she just, like, you know, a woman in passing? Uh, Elizabeth was very much just like the buttercup of Mm. Frankenstein. Like, you know how in The Princess Bride, buttercup could be replaced with a brick and it would be exactly the same movie? Yeah, like, they could just be fighting over, like, a ficus and it would be the same movie. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like, buttercup is the MacGuffin of The Princess Bride, and I think Elizabeth is kind of the MacGuffin of Frankenstein. You're right. Which is honestly par for the course with Victor, because he kind of makes everyone the background character in the Victor Frankenstein show. Like, that's what he did with Elizabeth, that's what he did with all his friends, and that's what he did with the monster, which is why the little guy's so messed up. That's the saddest part of the creature's existence, is that he has to deal with Victor Frankenstein. The bad teeth is not even secondary, maybe tertiary to having to deal with Victor Frankenstein. Yeah, because it's not even like Victor was like, oh, I created something with potential. He was like, I created a monster, you know? And I think that's that's the issue. Like, he, he kind of like felt like uh, Oppenheimer with like the atom bomb. Oh, interesting. And I think that might be why he's like so like screwed up about it and why he hates it so much. Like he hates the creature so much. Um... But at the same time, like, you know, it's out in the world. Like, you have you have to mitigate the risk, right? Like, Oppenheimer went on to, like, say that it was a mistake, that, like, he, he openly talked about how much, like, we shouldn't have done this. Like, cool for science, but, like, I, you know, I am become death, you know? Um, yeah, like the lady who invented gender reveal parties. Yeah, she's like, I'm tired of people burning down forests because of this stupid idea. Um, like, cut a cake open, fine, whatever, but, like, stop using pyrotechnics. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's kind of that feeling of, like, he created something, he thought it was going to be great, and then it failed him. Yeah. Because he failed himself. He failed himself. 
I mean, the creature did have potential. It's just that the first second of his existence was somebody screaming and running away and getting drunk. I mean, that's kind of the, like, first moment of existence for most people. But usually it's the, it's the purse, it's the baby screaming. It's not the parents screaming. Oh my god. I learned recently that babies have hair on them when they're born. Stop. I did not like that. How much hair? Well, it depends on the baby. So like, like term babies are like usually like, they only have like weird peach fuzz. But some preemies can have like really hairy backs. Um, And like it falls off after like a week or so. But you know, fun facts with Amy. That's not a fun fact. Imagine having a preemie and you don't know what's going on. And you're just like, I have made a werewolf. This is a werewolf. Yeah, well, this mom on Reddit was like, I had a baby chimp in my house for like a week. It was weird. Imagine being the dad in that situation, and you're just like, you had an affair with the gorilla. I can't believe you've done this to me. I feel like that's how Victor Frankenstein felt. He was like, I can't believe I've done this to myself. (laughs) I built a gorilla. (laughs) And I remember, can the creature like speak eloquently? I believe so, right? He thinks eloquently, but I don't remember if he can speak. Okay, so here's the thing with the creature. It can't speak eloquently at first, but then it goes and lives in the forest, and it's, like, the fastest learner ever, and it finds this, like, random bookshelf in the forest, I think, and it's full of Shakespeare, and it reads a bunch of Shakespeare, and it sees, like, these people walking around and eavesdrops on them, and that's how it learns language, which is not how one learns language, but... We're going with it. Right. So, like, if Victor had stuck around for, like, three seconds, he probably could have taught the te- the creature something. Right, but he was too afraid. And he ran he's out. he's a whiny bitch boy. And he ran out to the bar. Yeah. Instead of calling his girlfriend, you know, be like, hey, Elizabeth, got a problem. Please help. <laughs> but clearly Frankenstein wasn't smart. Um, yeah, okay. I didn't remember if he could speak. I figured he could. But I didn't remember if he could actually. He could speak eventually. Yeah, I wasn't sure like if he had thoughts, but like his speech because of the whole like body parts finagling um, came out all gurgled and gross. I don't remember if I like I'm imagining this. He definitely was not like the monster in the Frankenstein movies that are just like like he could talk. He just needed to learn how to talk because he he didn't know anything. He was born like a baby and he didn't know anything. Right. Uh, but yeah, he definitely had a lot of potential. And Frankenstein is the worst. And that's my that's my take on it. That's my hot take. That's your hot take. My hot take is that this book um, made me hate the Victorian era. What was so it? hear me out. Okay. So this was the first like Victorian novel I read, right? Of course. Um, and it kind of like one bored me to sleep and also scared me a little and maybe it was the way that it was taught to us but it wasn't it wasn't a captivating lecture about it you know did we have captivating lectures in the first year i mean some were good like some were really interesting and fun but like i feel like this was all it was too technical for us to like ever get into like the nitty-gritty of what i actually wanted like i ended up studying later on in my studies and it just, if everybody's like, oh, Frankenstein is such a good novel, blah, blah, blah. And I, like, I just, I don't get it, you know? Like, it's not, 
it's not for me. It's not that interesting. Like, unless you have all the background with Paradise Lost or whatever, that part's kind of lost on you. Um, Is it Paradise Lost? I'm done. <laughs> but I found that, like, I only started making these connections later on after I had read, like, book one and two of Paradise Lost and, like, gone to, like, some lectures about it, you know? Yeah. Like, I only connected the dots later, and I feel like that... Yeah, once I finally got into, like, learning more about Paradise Lost, I felt like I knew what was actually going on in Frankenstein, like, in retrospect. Um, and all the, like, weird stuff kind of stopped being weird, and I think if I reread it today, I would have a better appreciation of it. But it's so, like, I've scorned it so much in my mind that I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna play this game anymore. Like, yeah, I think... If if we had the opportunity to learn about Paradise Lost first, I also would would have read more into it. But it's just kind of like you can only do a surface reading in the first year. Yeah, like if they had told me, okay, read Paradise Lost in my first year, I would have lost it and just become a straight-up history major instead. I mean, I think Frankenstein, like, a lot of people love it. A lot of people love the gothic horror. They even love what Percy Shelley did to it, and they're, like, okay with it all, right? And that's great for them, and I support them. And if you are somebody who wants that for yourself, then by all means, live your best life. However, that ain't me. (laughs) And it ain't gonna be. And, like, in 30 years, you can put Frankenstein in front of me, and I'll be like... Nah. <laughs> Thanks. That so that's fun. my my hot take. That was a good hot take. Yeah, I thought so. What would you rate this book on a scale of one to five baby monsters? Oof. Um, are these baby monsters real baby monsters? Or are they like human baby monsters? <laughs> Victor Frankenstein doesn't know. Okay, therefore... As the raider, I also don't know. Um, I think I would give it, like, you know, a leg of a baby monster. Because, <laughs> like, legs on babies are really chubby and always, like, really cute, and I kind of want to eat them. Um, but you always get here? <laughs> but I don't think it's, like, worth a full baby monster. Like, just the know. best part of the baby monster, and then fuck the rest, you know? Okay, valid. Yeah. Cool. So thanks for listening to our podcast. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to Unsighted, and we'll see you in two weeks. And as always, work sighted when available. I keep trying to take a drink of my juice because I'm getting parched. Oh, that's not allowed. And I can't because you keep... Making jokes. <laughs>